because we know that we have had a price paid for our appearance here. It's not on our own merits that we come and that takes care of all the guilt, fear, and shame. So we thank you for putting us in our place, a place where we feel comfortable before you. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen, amen, amen. So we're still talking about there being no shame in this righteous game that we are in. Amen, amen, amen. (laughs) Praise God. I know uh, last week we got started, uh, you know, when you lay a groundwork, you plow some things up and you get some seed planted. So today we're going to just go a little bit farther in getting a good understanding of, <clears throat> you know, things that we, um, that affect all of us. This is something that, that is universally tied to humanity and uh, ways to uh, overcome these hindrances to our success to our peace uh, just to life in general whatever we're pursuing in life iniquity and shame and and that whole package will uh, defeat us in that if we're not aware that God has given us a way out and a way uh, up so to speak in him and so we talked about in Genesis 3 verse 10 it was when we first saw shame appear on the on God's creation a man uh, uh, when God called to Adam uh, he hid himself and he said that he said I heard your voice in the garden I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself and so here we see shame guilt embarrassment fear all of these <clears throat> feelings and all of these spiritual forces coming upon uh, creation, upon the man and the woman and their seed and, and uh, for, uh, forever. Uh, David even said we are born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And so shame appears to be a manifestation of iniquity. We talked about some of the components of shame uh, and it seems to have replaced love or replaced righteousness or the essence of God that appeared to clothe the man and the woman and they weren't ashamed of their nakedness when even when God was present. But it seems that righteousness made it even more pronounced. So sometimes when righteousness comes in the picture your sin and your shame become more pronounced. Now that's a good thing because once it's really fully exposed and we realize we can't cover it back up again then we cry out to God and we can get acceptance uh, in God's righteousness if we put our faith in God and turn away from our wicked ways turn away from our past life our selfishness all of the things that go with it we see that we're not losing anything by letting it go and then we come fully into God then he clothes us again in his righteousness and so that's always the best thing but you know that old nature is always going to compete with that Paul said what I don't want to do I do that which I, I want to do it's hard for me to do I just keep keep at it and keep at it and keep at it so uh, I think one of the reasons we need to look at this aspect of it is to see how pervasive it is and see how easy it is for us to slip back into our old ways if we start this shame game again so we talked about shame also being associated with confusion and confounding and we talked about the example sometimes if you hear the word and you hear God say he's going to do something for you that's great and you use something in you say this is no that's not for me or or you know it puts makes your eyes 
eyes a little downcast or you put your head down uh, when you hear good things sometimes and that's a manifestation of that shame so we defined it as a painful emotion caused by a strong sense of guilt embarrassment and unworthiness so that's your old nature he feels that way all the time guilt embarrassment and unworthiness or disgrace it is also one that brings dishonor disgrace or condemnation we also said that shame appears to be a spirit because it can be imputed to people can be imparted to them well like we say we put shame on certain things or we'll even say that to people shame on you you know you should be ashamed of whatever that is and so it's a universal uh, um, spiritual force that we do to immobilize certain activities if you put shame on somebody you immobilize whatever activity that is that we think is undesirable in some way and so this is a pervasive uh, mental attitude spirit Uh, we say that the curse came and it brought poverty and shame and debt so awareness of our debt will also bring shame you never hear anybody brag about how much debt they're in they're usually ashamed of of course and so they'll brag about the things that they bought with the indebtedness but they don't brag about the debt because there's a a shame there we even try to to uh you know uh say that it's normal to have debt in some way but everybody's trying to get out of it you know everybody's trying to get out of it so we just understand that all of those things when when sin came we became indebted and in and not being able to pay that debt so the debt increases with every generation and so when we see that god brought a remedy for that we say that when we hope in god we are not confounded we are not brought to shame so that same uh desire that maybe you felt shame or embarrassment when you when it when it came in your heart that you wanted it now if you put that hope in god and realize that it's a promise from god and he will bring it to pass that takes you out from under the shame you got me because in righteousness putting your faith and trust in god he imputes righteousness to you and all of that other stuff disappears because you know it's possible now in god you have that hope in you so he brings us into a different hope even in the third chapter of genesis that was promised when he uh, slew the animal and covered them they had sown fig leaves together and covered themselves in a false way and then God brought a real covering or temporary covering that they would be reminded every time they wanted to come to God an offering and a sacrifice had to be made so they would be reminded that that was God's acceptability uh, uh, pathway for them and that he would bring one uh, final sacrifice they didn't know all of that at that time but we can see it now that we're looking back 
to that time we can see that that promise was Jesus who came and gave his life shed his blood and so that we could have righteousness imputed to us and have peace with God be one with God and be able to go through life without shame we can hope now without shame we can ask without shame we can come boldly to him without shame we can do all of those things without feeling that our nakedness is uncovered and so that's a good thing because that shame thing it keeps us bound and and uh, away from so many things you know uh sometimes you know we don't know what it is that keeps bugging us that keeps you know something ain't right something ain't right what is it what is it do i even hear people say things and i've said it myself uh, you know god what is it that's that's standing between me and you that keeps me from getting in faith with this or receiving this or why is it taking so long all that kind of stuff and that's the manifestation of shame because it makes you feel responsible for something still even though all of this is dealt with at the cross you know what I'm saying it it just it just is there you know and so we need to recognize correctly what it is we need to recognize and accept and believe that God has taken care of all of that in the finished work. That's really what the finished work is. It's not a slogan and it's not you know something to argue with people on the internet about. But it is a, a reality that we have to embrace totally. If you don't understand all the aspects of it, you just won't be able to partake of the fullness of that is there for you and so we the we have to understand also too when we are applying that fig leaf and I think we need to take a little bit of time at least to talk about some of the false coverings that we have for our shame we define shame as a general feeling of unworthiness inadequacy embarrassment and it is a painful emotion so it's not something that just is a feeling it's something that we grab on excuse me grab on to and it lingers with us and it kind of tends to want to hurt us and dominate us so I thought I would list uh, uh, graphically some of the uh, false coverings I want to go into that now some of the false coverings that we use for that shame so you'll be able to pinpoint it identify it nail it down and then you can go to God and say this is part of the finished work I'm not getting stuck here I'm not gonna let me stop doing this and let me call it what it is and let me move it from my life and, and get going and so anything that we've accepted shame for in our lives is another thing it sometimes it gets to to cover your whole life if you're not careful with these things sometimes an unfortunate beginning in life you know there's so many people who are born out of wedlock now and there is a shame that comes with that now we're trying to cover it up by blaming other people that you're a hater when you don't like it there's nothing wrong with me there's you understand what I'm saying or any type of of thing that we start to feel uh, uncomfortable about we use different ways of projecting it away from us we try to get it off of us so the false covering comes so I thought I'd make my little shame doll <laughs> Why y'all laughing at her? 
see she's ashamed already and so that's her clothing she's made up all her little false clothes I know I know her little false clothes so when she would found she her was naked she uh, uh, she put did blame that's one of her little fig leaves blame is one lying is another lying including denial rebuttal and refusing so if there is something that say we're lacking in our lives and instead of just owning up you know what yeah I didn't have that or I wasn't born like that and all this kind of stuff we'll lie and we'll say well you know what uh, we, we were poor but we had a lot of love you know come on now you can't eat that for dinner so you understand what I'm saying so we do things like that don't we procrastination is another thing this is one of the things that gets me in trouble with you because you and I will be in agreement and we prayed about something and I know you're waiting for it and you need it and I'll ask you well how you doing on that don't bring that up so you know it's a shame thing because you know you want it you know you asked for it what happened in the meantime is that you let shame come back and say the reason you don't have it is there's something wrong with you huh that's what we say we try to make it religious and say oh is there something I haven't done God yeah a lot of stuff (laughs) you don't really want the answer to that God, what did I do wrong? Oh, gosh, no, let me count the ways. Thank God I forgive you and I don't remember anymore. Got me? The other thing we do is we boast. We find one thing that we think we're good at and we want to project it onto our entire life. It's a false covering. Because we're, we're trying to make that adequate to cover that feeling of inferiority that we all carry. Isn't that right? Excuse making. Huh? It wasn't me. The devil made me do it. Huh? Or, uh, you know, uh, the reason I do that is because, huh? Death row is full of people with excuses. Huh? Uh, the uh, the Godfather, uh, Godfather number one, of course. That is my fave of all the Godfathers. I mean, there's no, oh, let me go on. I digress. But uh, Don Corleone said that the reason he became a mobster was that he refused to be made a fool of. He just refused to let people uh, think light of him, not respect him, and all of that. And he did whatever he, that's his covering for his shame. You got me? Is stealing, murder, whatever he had to do to elevate himself in his own eyes that's what he did so this can get extreme folks if we are not careful with it not that we're saying that about anybody here but you know what I'm saying false humor people will use that sometimes to disarm people that they feel are powerful because of their shame Say for instance you're around uh, somebody who uh, say in a workplace situation the person that's hard to get along with and hard to smile but they're superior to you. You might get around them and try to get a laugh out of them. 
or get them to smile. You understand what I'm saying? Your, your feeling of inadequacy and shame causes you to play up to certain individuals so that you can get that feeling off of you because you think they intensify that feeling in you. You got me? And so we do those kinds of things. Attention getting. Anything to draw people's attention away from the fact that you feel so inadequate to try to draw them off of what makes you feel uncomfortable about yourself. Any attention getting. You'll see uh, (coughs) women especially will, you know, the facelift business now. Everybody's ashamed of the way they were born. And that's so common. But why go and get a surgeon to cut your face up and then it looks worse. I'd rather take the wrinkles and be able to move it than to be stuck with that. And it always looks glassy and it looks false and all of that. But people look in the mirror and say they're beautiful now because they feel like they found a remedy for their shame attention getting sometimes wearing loud clothing or revealing clothing you know uh, hides a shameful uh, self image you know I'm never pretty enough I never look good enough I'm never this enough and so people will try and get attention in that way we talked about pseudo intellectualism trying to have a knowledge beyond you know it's good to be average you understand what I'm saying? It's good to be average. Don't always try to be extraordinary. But shame will cause you to try and go overboard in your attempts to cover up that which makes you feel small. Some people have a different something every year. You know what I'm saying? It's like they're on to this. It's very common now in the world to get involved in fad, uh, in different fads. You know, like the exercise thing, personal trainers, life coaches, all that kind of stuff. People are participating in to cover up their bad self-image. So we did that. Anger is another one. Sometimes people distance people from them because they keep in what we call an angry affect. And that your face carries that look of anger. Like don't come toward me. Don't come you know and it is it is a a mask sometimes because people sometimes will go beyond that and you'll see a smile burst open on the person's face and they're not aware that they have adopted that facade to keep people at a distance because they don't want to feel exposed this is the whole thing we don't like the feeling of exposure and so we'll keep people at a distance fantasy and escapism is another way to cover it up we love living in the dream world but when God comes to us and says trust me and I'll make it a reality then we go we're all ashamed and everything we're shocked right and the other thing is rejection of that which is good and that you desire. I don't want it anymore. You'll see this in relationships many times with people who uh, were are married. And some, one of the persons wants a divorce. And the other one instead of humbling themselves and getting beyond that. They'll 
come back with their well, I don't want you either. You know, they they want to be the one to do the rejecting. They don't want to be rejected. All because of shame. You got me? And so we see the length and these are common things. This is so everyday and so ordinary. We all do it. God wants to replace that though with the naked righteousness. Yay! Here's the naked, unashamed, righteous person. Amen. (laughs) So God then comes and strips us of all of our nonsense. Amen. And he brings us back to naked righteousness. You know, nothing's bad between us and God. Nothing we can't divulge to him. We can come to him humbly and we can trust that he's not going to expose us and he's not going to do anything bad. He's going to help us because love covers a multitude. When God embraces us with his love, then we we feel that we can let go of it. See, when <clears throat> You'll see that with when you make friends with people. You ever see people who, who keep their friends, they, they have a lot of acquaintances, but they're always at arm's length. They don't let anybody come farther than that distance. Because the minute you start to warm up to people, you'll have to reveal something about yourself. That's that's how relationships grow is through mutual revelation. And so instead of us wanting to reveal ourselves to that person that we are friends or, or lo- in love with, we'll definitely want to uh, test the water, see what we can <laughs> tell them, you know, if I tell them this, you know, what is it? What's that going to bring? You know, that kind of stuff. And and so many times we we keep at a distance people that we need to embrace because that's part of the reciprocal in a relationship. That's what God does with us. He tells us to tell me what it is that's standing between you and me because you know it and I know it so you need to confess that out to me and I'll tell you how I feel about it and what does he say forget about it it's forgiven already you got me and and always come to him like that because these things stick to us until they're confessed out you got me they have to be dealt with in the way God says to deal with them and so when we we come to that realization that we can trust him we can trust that person we can also trust people that God sends into our lives because it'll amaze you how God works through people who love us and people who care about us. It'll amaze you. There's great discretion sometimes among people when they love you. If you'll reciprocate in love, if you'll sow that seed, they will reciprocate back and, and they will handle your affairs with discretion. You don't have to worry about them running around telling everybody about what you prayed about and what you're going through and all this kind of stuff. It's amazing. People here do it all the time. You have a prayer partner you talk to. You're supposed to be talking to them about the things that you need from God. And you can keep those prayers discreet. You don't hear people coming in here and sitting uh, over there in coffee and telling you about what they and their prayer partner prayed about what they're going through. You don't hear that kind of foolishness. And so there's a an honor that comes through righteousness 
We're talking about righteous people now. I'm not talking about, you know, sinners and people you shouldn't be trying to divulge. They'll always turn on you. You know what I'm saying? If you start dealing with righteous people unrighteously, they will turn on you. And so you won't have a good relationship there. But I'm talking about in a relationship where love is the foundation and that love is respected. You can grow in the relationship through revealing and sharing. Reveal. That's how you get to understand that you're no different from the next guy. And that's one of the beauties of righteousness because the shame goes away because you begin to identify that you're just like they are and they're just like you are. See, that's, That was one of the requirements for a priest. He came from among men. That's why Jesus came in a, in a flesh body. So that he could be a, a perfect high priest for us because he's lived on this earth. He lived in a limited tent. He lived in an earth suit. He was tempted in all points like we are yet without sin. So you don't have to feel sorry for yourself. That's the other false covering. I forgot to put that one on. That's a big one. (laughs) Self-pity. So you know that kind of thing. And so we, we really have to understand that God has provided a way back to contentment, to wholeness, to a good life. And and get rid of this shame thing because that's that's something that you see people carry that. It's almost like a, a bag that they pack and keep moving with them everywhere that they go. You know, it's an old dead body that we tend to take with us, and is so much a part of us. Sometimes we forget that that's what we're dealing with. You know, but but keep it exposed. Keep it. Up there where God can see it. Keep it where you're not ashamed. Keep it where you you understand what you're going for in God. Uh, keep it so that it, it's it's not, you know, it, it's one thing if you got something packed away in your trunk. You carry it around all the time but you're not aware it's there. If you can keep it at least on the passenger side, at least you know that bad boy's there. What you doing today, Shane? You ain't getting in my life today. You understand what I'm saying? You're not going to take me down. I'm going up. I'm going to trust God today in everything. And I'm gonna I'm gonna be the first to tell it, you know. And that's part of a, the the beauty of the the Christian testimony is that we're not ashamed of where we've been because then we walk into the righteousness of God and love covers that. It's just a, a memory. It's just ashes. It's not who we are anymore. And so we're not ashamed to share these things with people because it gives glory to God. Look at where I am now. Look at where I came from. Look at where I am now. But if you're in the same place all the time, you will feel that tug of shame again and, and wanting to hide and wanting to keep it away from people, etc., etc. So we said that shame can be imputed. What do you think? We talked about the Lord being my helper. When righteousness comes and it's our friend, we are not ashamed. Amen. The Lord is our helper. We are not ashamed. Um, in Second Samuel 19, let me see if that's 19 I want it. Yes, Second Samuel, turn to 18.31. I thought I would find an example for you of imputed shame so you can see how 
it's not just a game but it, it is a spirit that comes upon people when they have when there's a goal that you have in mind or a, a plan that you have if that plan does not come to pass or if there's some kind of a thwarting of that plan or a disappointment there shame will try and come and visit and get in your life and I was going to show you how pervasive it can be in this situation second Samuel in verse chapter 18 Mm. This is after Absalom was killed. You know the story about Absalom and David. Uh, the Bible says that Absalom made long uh, a, a, a long conspiracy against David's power in Israel. And what Absalom would do would be when people would go and to see David you know he would he would decide different cases Absalom sat outside the door and would tell people come here come here see listen what did he tell you he was going oh yeah if when I get to be king I'm going to do this I'm going to do that and it was just a strong conspiracy for many many years he undermined David's authority and his power to the degree that Absalom even got up an army he was able to influence some very influential and mighty people to follow him and he got an army David actually had to flee the palace but in all of that David stayed before the Lord he stayed humble before the Lord and so after Absalom, I think Absalom got his hair caught in the, <laughs> the uh, <laughs> well, he was, Absalom was a pretty boy. The Bible, the Bible said from the top of his head to the soles of his feet, there was no blemish found in him. He's beautiful. And he never cut his hair. He, he, they would, I guess they would weigh it every year and you pay tax on it if you had long hair or something like that. And that's what he did. And he kept it tied up and he kept it kind of like in a bun. I guess he looked Asian in a way or <laughs> something. That's why I was a sumo guy or something. I don't know. But anyway, he was very unusual and unique in that way. And he was very persuasive with people. And very influential to them. But in a negative way. Well after this uh, David had to flee the palace. Absalom took over. Took some of David's wives and concubines. To shame him publicly. So when your child rebels against you. All of that kind of stuff. Now we all know when, when you break that commandment. The Bible says it does not go well with you. And you will not live long on this earth. And so God's word still holds. Absalom was killed. I think they say he got hung or something. His hair got caught up in a tree branch or something. But uh, anyway uh, when when that's done David is able to return to the palace in verse 31 and 18 behold Cushai came and he said tidings my lord the king for the lord has avenged thee this day of all them that rose up against you in other words he says God did this God avenged you of everybody that rose up against you and the king said to him is the young man Absalom safe and Cushai answered the enemies of my lord the king and all that rise against thee to do you hurt be as that young man is so he's telling them no he's not the king was much moved went up to his chamber over the gate and wept and as he went thus he said oh my son Absalom my son my son Absalom would God I had died for you oh Absalom my son my son and it was told Joab behold the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom 
And the victory that day was turned into mourning unto all the people. For the people heard say that that day how the king was grieved for his son. And the people sneaked back or took themselves by stealth that day to the city as people being ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. So you see shame came upon that whole nation because they were in one mindset and their leader was in another mindset. But the king covered his face. And the king cried with a loud voice, Oh, my son Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And Joab came into the house to the king and said, You shame this day the faces of all your servants, which this day have saved your life. And the lives of your sons and of your daughters and the lives of your wives and the lives of your, in that you love your enemies. Loving your enemies is a source of shame. I don't care who your enemy is. You got me? And hated your friends. For you have declared this day that you regard neither princes nor servants. For this day I perceived that if Absalom had lived and we all had died, you'd have pleased you better. So whenever people, it appears, who are loyal to someone is disappointed by them that imputes shame to them and so shame comes upon this whole nation all David had to do was go privately and mourn for his son but he did it and he let everybody and and you would feel bad here this man you think you're on the king's side but you see how people get confounded confused disappointed and shame comes upon them in situations like this where there's confusion and what's being spread out over these individual people. They don't know what to think. Well, we thought we were doing the right thing when we went out to battle. Well, what, what does he really want now? What is, you know, when you can't please people and you don't know how to reach people, it does bring you a sense of responsibility back on you and shame and embarrassment. Did I do the wrong thing? Well, I went out and I killed some other people that were against. Was that wrong for me to do? And so it's it's good to stay with what you know is right all across the board. Don't be the kind of Christian that preaches one thing and lives another thing. You know, that's what this is kind of reminding me of. Is you talk a good game about things, but you know, you talk about treating people right and loving people, but then they find you undermining with the group that undermines the boss at, at, at the job and so forth and so on. And so we have to be careful about these two-faced activities sometimes that we or conflicts on the inside get your inner conflicts resolved and then move out into action and obey what your inner uh, righteousness is speaking to you in other words you got to stay with what you know to be as right all the way down the line or you will confound and confuse people they won't know which way to go they won't know what to say they won't know uh, who to turn to and so so it's good if you're a leader, you're a Christian. All Christians are leaders of somebody. The Bible says we are fishers of men. We're going out seeking them to draw them into God's kingdom. And so we have to make up our minds what we think, what we believe. Stay with it. Don't go back on it. Don't turn on it. 
and don't confound people who are trying just to know the right way to go. Here's this nation of people who are in their tents ashamed to come out because they feel like they've done the wrong thing because their leader is conflicted. See, you got if you're going to be leading people, you got to make up your mind where you're going, and you got to be determined to get there. You know, so it's it's a good thing to stay with what God gives you. Don't waver, don't don't fluctuate. Uh, you know, don't let uh, you know. One of the things that I made up my mind I was not going to do is be a stumbling block knowingly you know to people sometimes you have faults or something like that God makes you aware of it but you get rid of things that will cause people to stumble and so uh, we don't we never kept uh, alcohol around my house because you know if I have people people coming from the church in there you know what what kind of what kind of leadership is that you see what I'm saying now it's a sacrifice in a way for certain things to be removed for your life but I was glad when I quit drinking I didn't want it around for me my husband sometimes wanted it but he respected what I wanted and he because he realized he didn't really have to have those things but there are so many things and sometimes people will come around you and they're looking for something you got me to accuse you with or an excuse for uh, for not respecting you their people are always curious to peek behind you know uncover you and, and see some of the, something that would bring you shame and that kind of thing and so you have to be 100% careful because many pastors don't have their sheep in their homes Many of them don't. In fact, their people don't even know what street they're past. They don't even have an address for those people. They got a post office box in the church and that's it. And so they don't want you around them because they don't know how to, I guess, relate to people and make sure that they have a way to interact with people that's not going to be uncomfortable to people in any way. And so we have to make sure that we are... are I would say genuine in what we do. Uh, and I think that's God's highest for anybody is just to be sincere, be genuine, don't be two-faced, don't get around uh, after, uh, after church is over and get slack in your conversation, get slack in your attitude, start, you know, take your, let your hair down. You know, you don't have no hair to let down, Absalom. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know what I'm saying. You, you just don't want to live like that. You want to be the same way all the time. So that when people see you somewhere, you know, they, they, you don't have to be a, a uncomfortable, ashamed, embarrassed or anything like that. You know, you're just the same person you are all of the time, you know. So, but this is, is so that you can see the re- reaction that you can have as a person. And especially one that God, he says, we're the light of the world. He's put us on a pedestal for us to shine. And so your behavior, attitude, everything like that must be above reproach. Or you can cause this kind of reaction to come upon tons of people. Look at the leaders that we have that are not living in integrity. And it catches up with them. And it, it takes them, some of them never get back what they had 
before they fail. You get a percentage of it back, maybe, but there's always that you know that discomfort among them. You know, they get around people they don't know if these people are going to ask them something about why they fail or not. You know, you don't want to live like that. You want to live as a righteous person lives boldly, confidently, going forward, nothing hindering you, no second thoughts, no afterthoughts hanging in the back of your head about what what this means and so forth and so on you can you can live uh, pure you can live holy and you can expect uh, the same to come back to you so God pre- prepares righteousness he prepares the blood covering to cover our shame and and that righteousness has an effect on us because it's internal and external it's the presence of God going with you that's external and it's the life of God on the inside of you that's internal and so when you're a what we call spirit filled person you have that you have that external covering and you have that internal covering it's the baptism in the Holy Spirit and it's real and it keep uh, keeps you protects you covers that nakedness that shame the fear of judgment leaves us you can go to God without fear. The other thing that, that shame does for us is it limits our access into certain things that we desire in life. Say for instance, you know the, the, the scripture we all, God opens doors no man can close, closes doors no man can open. Why is that so endearing to us? Because in life, many doors are closed to us and we don't know how to get them open. And so what righteousness does for us is it gives us access and it gives us boldness. That's what righteousness does. If you're a righteous person, once God drops that into your heart, what he wants you to do and how he wants you to live, all of that, you know it's doable. You're not afraid that you can't do these things and you're not afraid that he won't let you do them. You're not in a a box anymore. You're not restricted anymore. Everything is open to you. Possibilities open up to you. Everything that you have lacked in the past now becomes tangible, touchable, believable, accessible. Because shame limits your access. It causes you to draw inward and have fear of coming out. Righteousness, when you're clothed in that, all of a sudden that barrier that was there, you just stepped through it. It's like Jesus walked through the door when the disciples were up in the upper room carrying on and fearful and all that kind of stuff. He says, well, righteousness does that. It causes nothing to be a barrier to you anymore. And in the realm of the spirit, that's dynamite. Because you can wind up that's where that's why God tells commands us, go into all the world and preach. Don't let any don't, there's no closed doors to you anymore. Because of righteousness, because I put a new covering on you, I put something on you, I've taken away your shame. The Bible even promises us for our shame we will receive double. Anytime the devil has caused you to feel embarrassed and uncomfortable about yourself. That shame doesn't belong to you anyway. 
That's something we inherit. All of this stuff isn't your, that's not your portion. That's not what God left for you. And so we can step out of it when we step into the righteousness of God. And so when we, when we get rid of that, then we know that we have access. We have found the remedy. God has provided a remedy for us. Amen. And that scripture we read about the prodigal in Job all the time. I have found a ransom. Amen. God has found a ransom. That's why we pray for the prodigals that they, they would come aware that there's been paid a ransom for them. That they don't have to stay estranged from the covenants of promise. You know, you can see that on people. People when when you know you'll have people who have been faithful for a while and all of a sudden they start to lose that desire. You know, and the shame keeps them from locking in. If you look at at their behavior, you look at it over a period of time, you'll see that there was some barrier that they were never able to overcome that kept them on the outside of what God was doing instead of allowing them to lock in to what God was doing. It's a shame. It'll keep coming up over them. You'll see them be nervous in certain situations. You'll see them retreat in certain situations. Not want things anymore. You know your list of you know I'll tell people I said you know when you first started here you wanted to do all of these things. Are you still wanting to do those? You know you need to check in. If your list of, of expectation has diminished in your walk with God. There's something wrong there. It should increase. As you, Your abilities should increase. Your inheritance increases. Everything increases. You don't shrink back. The Bible says God says I have no delight in you. If you put your hand in the plow and then you start shrinking back. What causes? you to shrink back the same thing here shame it's because you've been believing God for a certain thing for a certain length of time and it didn't come yet and then you start to use shame as your only covering you're ashamed of everything now you're ashamed of what you do have you're ashamed of what you don't have you're ashamed of where you live you're ashamed of where you don't live you're ashamed of where you work you're ashamed of everything and it shouldn't be that way for a child of God. If you stay humble to God, he removes all that nonsense. And you'll find yourself encouraged. You'll find yourself achieving. You'll find yourself acquiring. You'll find yourself going forward. Because that shackle of shame, that barrier has been broken because of the anointing. All of that stuff that would come upon us to hold us back to a life of of uh scrounging and scrambling and poverty and barely making it and you know all of the things that we came to Christ to get away from that stuff will start to grab back onto us again we don't keep shame as our enemy and that false covering stay away from the false covering you got me and the self pity it's a big killer you shouldn't feel sorry for yourself. You, there's nothing to feel sorry. Just get up and let's go at it. You got me? Don't sit there and act like you can't do anything. Get up and start and use what you got. You know, that's the way the, the miracle healings take place. You know, that, uh, the story that Copeland's always share about the little girl that uh, was paralyzed. And uh, she, I guess it was at one of the... Oral Roberts 
meetings, tent mate meetings, and the worst cases they would, you know, bring it a tent outside where they need a little more prayer, a little more working with them, or whatever. And and uh, when Brother Roberts came in, he prayed for people. He had some workers that worked with people as well, and he gave the command. He said, "Now begin to do something you couldn't do before." Or do what you can do and God will do more. You got me? And this little girl all she could do was blink her eyes. But she began to blink her. She humbled herself. This is a problem with people in need. They'll know they're in need all the way up until they get to the altar. And then they get to the altar and then start doing something prideful to snap them out of it. They started getting aware of who's watching, you know what, you know that kind of stuff. The enemy, the enemy works in the prayer line, folks. He'll wait. He'll let you feel full of hope and encouragement all the way until up to where you get prayed for, and then he start working on you, get you to get stupid and get out of it. This little kid humbled her. She was determined to hold on until she got her healing, and she began to blink. And the anointing began to work and loosen up her limbs and give her strength. And she got up and ran around that tent. She kept saying, Mama, I told you. I told She said within herself and told her, Mama, I told you I was going to get healed today. I told you. You see? All you have to do is humble yourself and yield to instruction. The Bible says that, that poverty and shame comes to one who refuses instruction. Are you too hard-headed to listen to people? You want to know everything and in your pride and your shame you want to just hold on to it and not listen to instruction. You won't get very far out of where you are. So we see where shame can be placed upon a whole nation of people. Now we we see that with David, you know, because they were living free people. They were having a victory, and all of a sudden, it's turned to shame. But there are some cultures where shame is a normal part of their. It's it's woven into almost everything that they do. You see this in Asian cultures. There's so many things that bring this. Oh no, we don't do that. It brings dishonor to the family. They're so shame conscious. Why? Because there's not much gospel truth there. You see, when righteousness comes in, shame is exposed, but it's exposed with a remedy. See, Christians don't go around exposing people's sin just to make them feel bad. It comes with a remedy. We always ask for the business when we share Christ with people. So it always comes with a remedy. Over there, if the gospel's not preached, there's no remedy. So they have to, they're left on their own to cover their own uh, shame. So God comes with a remedy. And it's always a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. And so we have shame until we receive and partake of the benefits of that blood sacrifice. So in the new birth, our spirits are ignited with righteousness. We're charged up with righteousness. And it's an imputed one. It's not one we have to maintain. It's not one we have to create. It doesn't leave just because we have some no-nos. It's eternal. We can step back into it. You got me? And so it becomes a garment or a covering that we wear. Not something we have to manufacture. And that's so wonderful. You can finally rest. You can finally just ask God for what you need and believe he imputes it to you. And just go about your way. 
Anything imputed stands on its own. It does not need our help or our sanction. And it is eternal. The righteousness of God is eternal. Which means it never leaves your life. You leave it. It does not leave you. You got me? So it is a fulfillment of God's promise in Genesis 3. That the seed of the woman comes. Not the man, the woman. Bypass the natural inheritance. And allow us to have the born again experience. So, So it would crush the devil's head his snaky little tongue that accuses us his snaky little eyes is always looking for something wrong with you huh? it just takes care of all of that takes care of that which would cause us shame man man it really does so we can live free now you know you get around people religious people they're crazy they're always snooping around looking at you trying to find something wrong but you just go on boldly Trust God. Pay no attention to those things. Don't let it stop you. That's why I tell people don't let anything stop you from going forward in God. Now, if you're going forward in the flesh, you need to stop yourself and thank God for the people who would slap you if you get stupid. Amen? Because you need to be brought back into who you really are. You're not some sinner who's running around here looking for an outlet to sin or a free pass for sin. You're a righteous person. And you're here to do good. You're here to impact the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. And live righteous. Live, lead by example. Live righteous before men and not be ashamed of it so in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 he talks about hope that does not make us ashamed we're talking about a righteous hope 5 verse 1 therefore being justified by faith there you go just keep it over there in God just keep thanking God keep trusting him we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into his grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and not only so but we glory in tribulations also so you glory in good times and in bad Knowing that there's a trick to that tribulation thing where it looks all bad, it's all good after all. He says we know this tribulation works patience, patience experience, experience hope. The more you experience in God, the more hope you should have. It shouldn't be the reverse experiencing God see what happens is people have experiences but they're not God experiences they have experiences with defeat they have experiences with disappointment and those stand out bigger than whatever experiences they are that they have in God see I don't care if you've only had one experience in God (laughs) if you step out in faith though you'll have more The more you step out in faith toward God, the more experience you will have in God. And that's what gives you hope. That's what gives you hope. Hope then is the type of hope that you're not ashamed to hope for. Even if it's against hope. Like Abraham. Even in his condition that he was in without the born again experience, he was able to hope against hope. I think about that and I said, boy, I would love to tap into that flow. 
man where everything's against you and you still believe God for the impossible come on now but it's possible that the righteousness of God makes it so he says this kind of hope does not make you ashamed because the love of God is given in our hearts by the hope. So the love of God makes the hope valid. It validates the hope that we have. See that's the difference. When you're hoping for something just on your own trying to have it. Shame, doubt, remorse, all that stuff will creep up on you and steal your dream. But when you hope in God, his love reinforces that hope and strengthens it so you don't let go of it. You're not ashamed of it. You know it's going to come to pass because you know he loves you who promised it to you. And that keeps you in this place of blessedness where it can't be taken away from you. If you know the person who is promising you loves you and they keep reinforcing, he keeps shooting that love toward us at all times, reinforcing it to us. It's a package deal, folks. You get the whole of God. And he's not holding anything back so that he can make it real to us what he promises us. You're never going to be ashamed hoping in God. He's not going to let you be. He's not going to let shame get in there. Because love blocks shame. Every time you would get ashamed, the love of God pushes it out of the way. Because it's constantly being shed in your heart. Towards you. Not just out there to other people. It's being shed towards you. you got to receive it first before you can give it to anybody. He gives us the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be a comforter. That's what it means to be. He's called alongside of us to support us and give us strength. To continue to believe. You've got to continue to believe in this life. I'm telling you what you acquire through your faith is not nearly as impossible as the faith that you, you have deposited inside of you. Because that's going to take you through the long run. That's going to keep you from quitting and believing the lies of the devil and giving up and going after something false after you believe God. So you got to endure to the end, folks. And when you can rely on if I if God tells me and I start to put my faith in Him, and I start to ask God for things, and I open my mouth and pray with other people, and they know what I'm believing God for. I'm never going to be ashamed because He constantly reinforces that He loves me. Even if you don't receive every little thing on your list, you still know He loves you. Huh? Can the fact that you didn't get that raise or that job or that promotion or that wonderful spouse or whatever it was that you were looking for, is that going to separate you from God's love? You better not let it. You better not drop God because you didn't get something you thought you were believing for. Get real. And he says this kind of hope does not make you ashamed. I love it. You can boldly say you're believing God for the impossible and feel good about it. Huh? 
Nobody can make you feel bad about what you believe in God for. You're believing him for new limbs, new lungs, new, uh, you know, a baby when you're past age, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I know, Miss Wada. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we we won't bless you again like that. <laughs> Say that blessing for somebody else. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. In Ephesians 12, 3, uh, turn there. Paul is talking about the the uh, plan of God for us and he says here in verse 9 to make all men see what's the fellowship of the mystery which was from the beginning of the world come on now this this is precious stuff we have don't ever cheapen the gospel. Don't ever think light of it. Don't ever think light of the day that you were saved and how you were saved. You know, get it burned on the inside of you is important. And that's the beginning of your life. And he says this is a mystery which was from the beginning of the world was hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. So we're making known to these crazy demons out here the manifold wisdom of God which means you talk to them you bind them you tell them what to do you tell them to move out of the way and you do it without fear and he says according to the eternal purpose which he purposed and this was God's eternal purpose that the church would again have dominion on the earth through making known the principalities and powers and manifold wisdom of God that's all we have to do to get our dominion back is keep declaring the word of God and aim it at the spiritual forces that are hindering his work. He says, in whom we have boldness and access. Which means you're not begging to go through a door. You're not begging anybody for a job. You're not begging anybody to give you an opportunity. You're not begging anybody for a promotion. You're not begging anybody for anything. You have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. This is Jesus' confidence and faith that you're working in. Did he ever beg anybody for anything? Did he ever, was, he, was he ever afraid for his future? For the, was he, what he going to eat? He boldly said, the foxes have holes and the, the whatever have dens, but I don't have a place to lay my head. You want to follow me? Huh? He always say that always scares rich people. Huh? They always think God's going to take something from them and not give them anything back. Rich people are trying to hold on to their wealth. Don't get it twisted. That's why they're rich. They keep everything or most everything. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. They fearlessly go where nobody else wants to go. Huh? They fearlessly go where nobody else wants to go. We've had people, I always give y'all this example about Jesse Jackson. When he gets in his righteous that zone where he knows he's heard from God and he steps up there he'll go and talk to people who are holding hostages and get them released 
I'm thinking, come on, God, <laughs> use him. You know, I'm joining the bandwagon now. You know how when you're religious in your mind, you think, mm, how could God use him? Yeah, right. He's a servant of God. That's God's business who he wants to use to do that. You know, we, we're looking for results. But we have boldness and access with confidence that you can get the job done. You have confidence that you can get the job done. Um, there was a time when, when we were new in the ministry and I would be concerned I said well God suppose somebody comes and something's wrong with them and I can't he said they're not coming to you I don't send anybody that I can't help you to you know it's like trust me this ain't about you and your abilities I didn't hire you with abilities I hired you with, with pretty much nothing <laughs> your resume was dead shot in fact it was blank so anyway but we're here to 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 perform God's eternal purpose so an eternal purpose it has nothing to do with this world we live in right now folks shame is a temporary condition so we don't have to contend with it forever we can put shame to shame get rid of it in dealing with shame always keep it exposed to the righteousness of God put on righteousness put that off adopt the seed of the woman the word of God always you know fill yourself with the word of God whatever God says that's what you carry with you into every situation and maintain that righteous covering that God gives you that word will crush the head of iniquity and shame Man, he is the lifter of our heads that's what that means he removes the shame and he lets us dream again and he brings our dreams to pass amen he brings them to pass there are many dreams that are waiting for us to receive them huh they're waiting for us to step into that and make it a reality down here on 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 earth righteousness really means uh in especially in god's case righteousness is a uh, kind of a manifestation of his holiness righteousness is an expression of holiness in that it does the right thing all the time and it needs no correction no adjustment no anything righteousness is right thinking right behaving right speaking it's right all the time now how can God do that through us he does it by the the spirit of Christ that lives in us as much as you feed your spirit that's how you're enabled and so God is able to uh you know direct our steps so that we are adequate in our righteousness forever it whatever it is that confronts us along that pathway he's not going to put you on a road a bumpy road that you can barely handle and then when you get there your righteousness cannot speak for you the way it's supposed to see it's right thinking right believing right behaving he feeds you the right utterances the right thoughts everything when you stay in the mind of Christ he can make you adequate for all things at all times that's why sometimes I tell you when you know you you go out witnessing and then you come back and you think well maybe I could have maybe I could have maybe that after that Monday morning quarterback that's the devil 
See, you know, God's not feeding you that. Sometimes your mind is curious to know, did I do? But if you if you think about what righteousness does, it's adequate for all things at all times. People will say sometimes things like, well, you know, you and we've all had this experience. Uh, you told me so and so and such and such, and you say, huh? You have no recollection. But they heard that. They heard that the right way. They heard that right. And and that it was right on the inside of them. And they were able to embrace it as something right that they could use in their lives. And they appreciated it. That's what righteousness does. It corrects things. And it... Even if it has to fix their hearing so they hear it right, even though you might feel like you're awkward and saying it wrong, or you feel like you've got to say it real fast because you don't have much time with them, all that kind of stuff, righteousness makes it right on the inside of them. The end result is it's right. So we don't have to worry about fixing things up. I wish the church would get over this shame that we carry. And you see it, the world's now putting more shame on us because the more we stand for righteousness, the more shame they put on us, the more we lose our footing in it. They want us to lose our footing in it so that we don't maintain that righteous stand, maintain that standard for God. Yes, homosexuality is sin. Yes, you will. If you don't receive Jesus and repent, you will go to hell. But you can repent and have a righteous life. Well, see, the reason that stand is not as, as solid as it used to be is we got too many people wavering because they don't understand the righteousness that God has placed upon them them and continue to declare it even though you they call you a hater even though you think you said something wrong or how you can I fix my words up or how can I love these people and hate the sin and all you know all this confusing junk has nothing to do with imputed righteousness that God has provided for us to be adequate witnesses for him. We are more than able to win the homosexual over. We're not lacking in anything to win these people over. All you got to do is, is maintain that, that belief that, that his grace is sufficient in all things. If it's not on your life, it's on somebody else's life. But God has a remedy for everybody that's away from him to come back to him. He's made a way. And it's, it's not the fault of the church. I wish people would get over this something's wrong with God's people. There's nothing wrong with us. And if we keep listening to that nonsense, we'll just go away and be very ineffective in the things God wants us to do. You have to, you have to believe in his rightness upon you at all times. And when you yield to that, you hear God telling you to open your mouth and speak to people. Just open it and say what he tells you to say. Sometimes you'll come around away feeling like you fumbled it. It's carnality in our souls sometimes. Just hanging there wanting to latch on to us again. But you thank God. God I thank you for that door. Open door to sow that seed. I sowed that seed the best I knew how. And But you bring the increase. Can always depend on God to bring the increase. This, this this righteousness works because it's not our remedy. It's not of us. 
You got it? It's not of us. And you can trust God imputing it to you that it's right, it's proper, it's more than adequate. And it speaks on our behalf. It speaks on our behalf. There's fruit that's born of righteousness that speaks about your life. It speaks about your life. How much time we have, Miss Wanda? I think I can do this. Give me ten, give me ten, give me ten. No, give me ten, give me ten, give me ten. Oh, we're good. We're good. Okay. Um, in Genesis chapter 30, we'll see this this um, example of Jacob. Jacob, you know, has a, a very colorful history. The interesting thing, though, is that the Bible says that God said, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. He loved Jacob because Jacob was not satisfied with second place. Because there was a top place God prepared for him. God has a top place prepared for all of us. Now, granted, his pathway to it was crooked. Man, you, you can't, you can't, you know, sometimes you don't like second place because you're ashamed of second place. But there is something of God in your heart to want more, to want better, to want, because you have to desire that to even come out of sin come out of your old life even people who have all the material blessings and benefits you could have there's still a want better inside of all of us they might pursue it in just the material realm because that's all they're familiar with but the want better is is righteousness that God wants us to have that that is the cry of every heart is to desire to have that right standing with God so uh, Jacob we know was was uh, uh, in, after an inheritance. He was after more. He even deceived his brother uh, into taking his birthright from him. And he took the blessing. The birthright was, was something that he knew was coming to him. But the end of the deal the blessing had to be conferred. That had to be spoken what he was to receive. And so he was crafty enough to get both of them hard thing to do well God looks at this and he said man this boy is not satisfied with meager living sinful living just living barely getting by he wants more I love him the other guy who sold it for carnal things God hates they see that now Christians you know get saved and, and keep fornicating slipping around eventually quit serving God like they you know had a zeal had a desire wanted to do better did it wrote it out for a little while and got tired of the ride and went back to iniquity you got me and so uh, it, God doesn't like that he hates that so once you're enlightened and you've tasted of the heavenly gift the Bible says there's really no more sacrifice for your sin. Your, your sacrifice came as a one-time sacrifice not to have to crucify him openly again. You got me? And so those things are, are, are hard for us to imagine, especially when we endeavor every day to stay faithful to God. It's hard to imagine people understanding things of heaven and then just saying no I don't want that anymore I just want to go back and be you know people do you have nothing to do with that 
that's God's business to take care of people in those situations. Now we pray for them to return and we want them to return. But people have a tendency to make decisions based on the atmosphere in which they submerge themselves. See if you stay around spiritual people I guarantee you'll be spiritual. Bad company corrupts good manners. You'll find somewhere in people's lives backsliders. They have submerged themselves. They're more comfortable around carnality than they are. See when they're in righteousness many times that shame grabs them. They don't know what to do with that. They don't know to repent of it. Step back into righteousness and God will help them. Then they start seeing people who are being blessed of God as the enemy. There's something wrong there. Why are they getting it and we don't get it? It just increases like like Abel did. Like I mean Cain did against his brother Abel. He just kept doing what he thought he could do to get away with not giving the proper respect and offering to God. And worshiping God and staying in God's presence. He stepped away from that. Pretty soon he hated his brother. He was jealous of his sacrifice. He wound up killing his brother. Man. Because of iniquity and shame. And so here we see. Jacob wanting more but having bad manners in the way he goes about it. So that's all God's doing is coming down teaching us, instructing us, giving us his ways. That's manners folks. God's ways are your spiritual manners. What do you do in God's presence? You worship him. What do you do when God gives you something to do? You obey immediately. What do you, God, what do, you do when God puts people in your life? You love them and you forgive them. See these are God's ways. That's what he wants to teach us. So he begins teaching Jacob after Jacob leaves the household. We know the story. Jacob uh, connects with his I think Laban is a relative. An uncle or cousin or somebody like that. Distant enough. Excuse me for him to marry into the family. And so Jacob strikes a bargain with with Laban for his daughter Rachel. And you know the story. He told him after seven years he could have his daughter to marry. He gave him the other daughter. You know and then he says okay seven more you can have her. Well Laban is trickier than Jacob was. So all those years where Jacob you know uh, was conniving against the family kind of has caught up with him. But there comes a limit. Don't ever let yourself stay in a lesser position because you think your past behavior has earned you that place. I'm going to say it again. Don't ever let yourself stay in a lesser position because you think your past behavior has earned that for you. You can only go so far because... You can only get so much because. There's a limit on what you can expect because. All of that kind of stuff. Well after a while Jacob just got tired of paying. He got tired of paying. Because he found that Laban was not honest either. And so he begins to talk to him. 
about getting out on his own and having his own family with him. Laban, I'm sick of working for you. I need to go, but because you own everything, I can't leave here and take care of my family. I don't have anything. And so in verse 25 of chapter 30, came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I might go to my own place, to my own country. I'm tired of this now. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you. In other words, I've done what you told me to do. This stuff belongs to me and I'm ready to go. And he says, Laban said to him, I pray if I have found favor in your eyes, Terry, for I've learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. So, you know, Uncle Laban still don't want to let him go. And he said, appoint me your wages and I will get. Now tell me what I'm supposed to give you. Tell me what's fair, Jacob, and I'll give you what's fair. And he said, you know that I've served you. And how your cattle was with me for it was little which you you know you didn't have many at all when I first came here. And the Lord's increased you since I've been here. And the Lord's blessed you since I came here. And now shall I provide for my own house also? And he said what shall I give you? Jacob said you shall not give me anything. But if you'll do this for me. In other words I'll earn what I need from you you don't have to give me nothing he says I will pass through all the flock today removing from there the speckled and spotted cattle and we know the whole genetic engineering he did to increase his flock he says that will be my hire and he said this so shall my righteousness answer for me in other words we're not talking anymore I'm not discussing this anymore I don't want anything from you you don't have to give me anything let my righteousness speak for me I'm telling you, if we would do that more and run our mouths less, you can hold your peace and let your righteousness speak for you. Just let people see the fruit in your lives. You don't have to defend yourself anymore. You don't have to go with your your false blankets and false coverings for your shame. Now you can let righteousness talk for you. People may not see the fruit in your life for a long season. But if you will hold your peace, if somebody accuses you of something you want badly to defend yourself, do you know you don't have to say anything in your defense? You can let your righteousness talk for you because your righteousness will tell them everything that they need to know about you. Your own words may lead them in a wrong direction, but your righteousness will always tell them the truth about you. And so Jacob says if you'll give me these cattle let my righteousness answer for me in time to come. When it shall come time for my hire before you everyone that speckled and spotted and all that will be counted as stolen by me. In other words I'm not going to take anything that I have not removed from here already. And that anything that's missing that I'm not supposed to have you can say I stole it but I'm not taking anything from you. I'm only taking today when I will cause it to increase and that will be my hire for all this time that I've been with you. But my wives and my children those are mine. You know those belong to me. I, you gave me my wives. 
I produced my own children. God blessed me to have all of these children. And so I don't need anything from you. Just give me what I'm asking for you for today. And you'll find that I haven't stolen anything from you when we leave. Now when they left, Laban did find some things missing. But his daughter had stolen those things. Remember? And he stopped him on the road. And so he knew Laban was going to check up on him. Because he was that kind of guy. He knew he was going to follow him and check out all his stuff and count all them cattle and make sure they were the same color that he had already had and all that kind of stuff but he did find some things missing and and Rachel thought that those were hers she said don't I get an inheritance too and so she stole some of her dad's stuff but it was hers anyway you understand what I'm saying and so that that accusation Laban represents the accusation in our life that's always going to follow you there's always going to be somebody saying you're not a good Christian, you're a hater, you're this, you're that. What kind of Christian are you? Or you don't, you're not using your faith, or you would have so and so and such. And you're going to have religious accusers. You're going to have carnal accusers. You're going to have all kind of accusers checking up behind you, trying to see if you're living right, trying to see what you're doing. But let your righteousness talk for you. Let let what God's imputed to you be the voice that they hear. You have to argue and strive with people about anything. You just hold your peace. Righteousness will show the type of person you are from now and forevermore. Okay, why don't we stop? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word, know your word, know what you want us to do. Father, we have peace with you. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you Lord for righteousness that's given to us by the Holy Spirit. We thank you Holy Spirit for being our friend, our helper and our companion. And we bless you for it Lord in Jesus name. Amen and praise God. If anybody needs prayer come on up I'll pray with you. Pray the Lord.